I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Welcome to Unanswered, Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. I have the privilege to lead a national ministry called Christian Thinkers Society, where our mission is to inspire Christians and pastors to become thinkers and thinkers to become Christians. After over 10 years of serving as one of the pastors and teachers at a vibrant local church, I began to notice that we had sincere Christians attending church services week after week, listening to sermon after sermon, and yet they still did not possess the confidence to answer the tough questions being asked about Christianity. Many believers struggle with their own big questions about their faith. They don't know where to turn for answers, and some may even turn away from their faith altogether. Sometimes these questions can be so complex and difficult that many don't even know where to start. I realized that we needed better answers for the unanswered questions in our churches. So I dedicated my life to exploring these questions. At Christian Thinkers Society, we've received over 4,000 questions through our events, and we found that certain questions kept recurring. We noticed six questions most frequently asked, and we produced exactly what the church needs. One of the most recurrent questions I'm asked about is God's silence. What do I do when God is silent? Have you ever felt like God is giving you the silent treatment? How do we respond when God seems like he's on mute? Next to deciding to follow Jesus, the greatest decision that I've ever made in my life was asking Audrey to marry me. I first met my wife in Panama City Beach, Florida at a church youth camp. And we had one of those great youth camp weeks where revival breaks out. Before my wife ever knew me or I knew her, she actually went forward and she signed a yellow legal pad because she felt like God was calling her to go into full-time Christian ministry. She didn't know exactly where that would take her, only that God was calling her into ministry. I was so impressed with her love for the Lord, but I was way too nervous. She was way too good looking, way too classy. I was so nervous to go up and ask for her phone number. So I actually asked the youth pastor to let me borrow the youth roster. And I saw her home telephone number back when people had home telephone numbers, if you remember. And I called and no one answered and it was a home answering machine. And I said, Audrey, this is Jeremiah Johnston. Would you please go out on a date with me? Well, she said no. And then she said no again, but I didn't give up. I kept being persistent. And finally, we began dating, and then the Lord led us to get married, and we began in ministry together. You know, in the 15 years of our relationship, since those early days on the beach at Panama City Beach, Florida, I can't think of a single moment where my wife, Audrey, has been a stumbling block to my walk with Christ. In fact, she's one of those rare people that you meet who makes you want to be more like God, not because of what she says, but because of how she lives her life example. That background is really important for what I'm about to say. My wife and I experienced five years of God's silence, full stop. We always wanted to have children. We never could have dreamed that two healthy people 
who loved God with all of our hearts would not be able to conceive. That nightmare became our literal reality. We spent what to a pastor would equate to a small fortune having every hormone of our body check, every intimate detail of our love life examined for medical inquiry. The physical stress paled though in comparison to the emotional toll that infertility was literally fogging and holding over our marriage. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, despair is defined as complete loss or absence of hope. And I have to be really transparent with you and say that I think Audrey and I had reached that point. Four years in trying to have a baby, nothing was working and nothing was happening. Can I share with you what my prayers sounded like during those four years? Keep in mind, I'm a minister, I'm an ordained pastor, and I, I just can't understand this. Lord, am I not believing enough? Lord, is there some sin in my background, in my history, that's preventing you from blessing me today? God, you've promised to bless me. God, you've promised Psalm 8411, you'll withhold no good thing from those who do what's right. God, in what way are we wrong? Audrey and I would cry out to him. In what way have we sinned that you will not hear us? And then, you know, you have these emotional moments. Please, God, if you would only tell us, we would change it immediately. God, we want a child. Would you please help us? And then it got to the point where it was really low. God, are you even listening? Your word says that you're near to the brokenhearted, but you seem so absent from our lives. Perhaps you've said a similar prayer or wanted to. You know, it's okay to pray like that. It's okay to share your heart with God. And possessing advanced degrees in theology was of little help to me, by the way. Preaching regularly in a growing church didn't give me any kind of special access to God. And for all practical purposes, Audrey and I thought that God had like put us in a corner and time out that we had no idea why. Have you ever felt like God put you in time out? Have you ever felt like God was on mute in your life, that you literally just couldn't hear him anymore? You couldn't get to him? Could we trust him? Did we trust him? Would we trust him? I'll return to the rest of our story later in this session. My wife and I prayed and journaled through this experience of God's silence, and God taught us four very clear principles for how we should respond when God seems silent and far away. The first lesson that we learned was, number one, God's silence is real. It's biblical. It's personal. It's common. And guess what? It's not always bad. Now, this took us a while to learn. We have to blow up that myth that God's silence is the same thing as God's chastisement. They're not the same. Chastisement is a word that we rarely hear anymore. Have you noticed that? But it is in the Bible. Chastisement is that experience of God's discipline in our lives. God's silence, though, does not always mean that God is disciplining you. Remember John chapter 9, Jesus heals the blind boy. Who has sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, none of them. But so God may be glorified. If you're experiencing the silence of God, it doesn't mean that you are some kind of second-rate, second-tier Christian. Trust is always the issue. Do we trust God to straighten out the mess in our lives? Do we trust God to give us a child, for instance? Do we trust God even when he says no or wait or not now and we sense a delay? Now, as we're going to see in this session, God's silence is not always, and in fact, in many cases, not due to some sin in your life. And you need to hear this. Biblical, what do I mean that God's silence is biblical? You might find it ironic that several of the major characters in the Bible face times of deafening silence from God. 
Or think about just for a moment, Joseph and the silence of God that that young man faced. All he did was follow God, obey God, share the dreams God gave him, trust God, and he ends up in a foreign land in Egypt. At 17 years of age, Joseph is sold in a human trafficking transaction, and he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house. Then he's wrongly accused, and Potiphar is Joseph thrown in an Egyptian prison. Many forget Psalm 105, 17 to 19, when it describes Joseph's plight. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was put in an iron collar until the time his prediction came true, the word of the Lord tested him. Genesis chapter 40 concludes by saying that Joseph was literally forgotten in that prison. God's silence. The real story was God didn't want Joseph in the land of Canaan where his family would have most likely died from famine. God did not want Joseph as a slave in Potiphar's house. God wanted Joseph to be Pharaoh's prisoner. Why? Because God wanted to favor him with Pharaoh. God's silence was a test. Joseph's transformation into the second most powerful position in Egypt happened through God's silence. You know, God's silence can lead to our transformation. The great Old Testament prophets, when you study them, I'm talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, they all dealt with God's silence in different ways. God's silence is real. It's biblical. It's personal. It's common. It's not always bad. So here's the application. When the silence is real, when it's raw in our life, I need to recognize that I'm not alone in the stillness. In fact, I'm in some pretty good company. A right biblical framework will cause us to think rightly about our situations. What is it about our human nature that we constantly are doubting ourselves? When you realize that Abraham, Joseph, the great prophets, they all persevered and were eventually promoted through God's silence, that encourages us to know that we're not alone. Think of 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. The second lesson Audrey and I learned struggling with the silence of God was a practical one. When the silence is real, I should saturate myself in the Psalms. Now, it might sound simple to you, why the Psalms? Why don't we do think about Jesus' excruciating experience of the silence of God, literally un utter abandonment of God the Father. In his native Aramaic tongue, we hear the struggle of God's silence in Jesus' voice. Matthew 27, 46, literally it says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? in a way that we cannot humanly or that I cannot theologically explain to you, in a way that we can't spiritually comprehend, there was silence within the triune Godhead. So much so that Jesus asked the Father, where are you? From memory hanging on the cross, what does Jesus go to? He goes to the Psalms. He quoted Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22.2 continues, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. 
and by night, but I find no rest. Can you identify with that cry? Luke's gospel tells us that despite God's silence, Jesus places his trust in his father's character. Do you remember Luke 23, 46? Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Can you imagine the silence at Jesus' tomb that weekend? And yet through that silence, the greatest feat of human history occurs. Jesus is resurrected. Death is defeated. I was encouraged to go to the Psalms because that's where Jesus went when he suffered in silence. He went to Psalm 22. There's so many Psalms that are rich with the transparency of believers who struggle with God's silence, questions about God's plan. But ultimately, we see they cast themselves on his faithful love and character. I mean, I think of Psalm 44, the entire Psalm is a picture of the silence of God. And it ends with this triumphant note of trust in the faithful character of God. Think of Psalm 62, another Psalm of David, verse one. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, he says in the Psalter. From him comes my salvation. Psalm 62, verse eight. After extolling God's righteous, I never break my promises character. David says what? Trust in him at all times. Silence leads us to dependence and trust in God's unfailing love. And that's where ultimately our transformation is found. The third lesson that Audrey and I learned is silence should always lead me to stones of remembrance. Have you ever noticed how forgetful that we can be? I mean, there's a reason that we have memorials in our nation's capital. People forget great things of the past, great events, great accomplishments, great actions. You know, we all need reminders of significant events of our past. As God deepens our spiritual lives, as he molds us on that potter's wheel of his silence, you know, we should journal to remind ourselves of God's lessons in our lives. Did you know that sometimes God does not answer your prayers because he knows better than you what's actually best for you? You know, I can think of some specific prayers in my life that I once uttered to God, and now I'm so grateful that God didn't answer those prayers. God blessed me with his silence to those petitions because he had something much better for me. Here's a key lesson that we learn. God sometimes says no to something good that we pray for because God has the best for us. He says no for a better yes. Oswald Chambers once said, some prayers are followed by silence because they're wrong. Others because they are bigger than we can even understand. It will be a wonderful moment for some of us when we stand before God and we find that the prayers we clamored for in early days and imagined were never answered, they've actually been answered in the most amazing way and that God's silence has been the sign of the answer. In Joshua chapter four, Joshua crosses over the Jordan River during flood season on dry ground to begin that conquest of the promised land. I love the book of Joshua. It's a book of total victory. Joshua chapter four, verse five into seven, it says, take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them. Do you know we have memorial stones in our life just like Joshua and his conquest? Tell me about your memorial stones when God protected you, of when God provided for you miraculously. You journal through what you learned in God's silence. What promise did God give you? What way did he protect you? 
What wrong theology or worldly skin did you shed as God grew you in the silence? There's a fourth and final lesson Audrey and I learn. The silence of God can lead us from transformation to triumph. We persevere in that silence because God wants to promote us. We learn in 1 Samuel 15 that God rejected King Saul as king of Israel because of his disobedience. 1 Samuel 15, 26 literally says, the Lord rejected Saul. Now, if you want to know how not to respond to God's silence, read 1 Samuel 15 through chapter 31, and you're going to watch Saul descend and do the unimaginable. Cut off from God, drowning in God's silence, Saul says in 1 Samuel 28, 6, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. God is silent to Saul, and so he does the unimaginable. Saul decides to disguise himself and go behind enemy lines, and he visits a witch in the town of Endor to try to seek guidance how to defeat the Philistines. In 1 Chronicles 10, the text explicitly states that Saul died for consulting the dead rather than consulting Almighty God. Saul is defeated in battle, and what does he do? He kills himself on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines hung his body in Beit Shan. You can go to the city of Beit Shan today in Israel. Let me draw an immediate parallel from the life of King Saul to the life of David. Same book, 1 Samuel chapter 16. David is anointed king of Israel after God had rejected Saul the chapter earlier. However, remember the chronology. Even though he's anointed king, he's not crowned king for another 15 years. You could argue that he spends the next 15 years grappling with God's silence. In fact, after being promised the kingdom, David is regularly hunted by Saul. Saul seeks to take his life. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, while David is on a mission battling the Philistines, the Amalekites actually descend on David's encampment and they capture all the wives and children of David and his mighty men. How does David respond to this defeat? How does David continually respond to this time of God's testing and silence in his life? I think it's perhaps my favorite passage in the entire Old Testament. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. In the face of this silence, with, his, with their wives and children literally imprisoned by the Amalekites, what does David do? What's his reaction? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David continued seeking God in the midst of defeat and silence. Now think about the comparison, draw it in your mind. Saul responded to God's silence by seeking a medium. David responds by continuing to seek God's face, no matter what, despite the silence, despite the defeat. God restores the wives and the children to David and his mighty men. And then after 15 years of waiting on God through the silence, you know the rest of the story, God gives David the kingdom. Here's a key thought. Sometimes for us to go to our destiny, we have to go through the testing of silence. Will you respond to God in his silence by continuing to seek him? Will you respond by trusting him and by throwing yourself on his covenant faithfulness? Do you know 250 times in the Old Testament, of course, the Old Testament is mostly written in Hebrew, we have this beautiful Hebrew word hesed. It's when you read that English word loving kindness, behind it, the Hebrew is hesed, the hesed love of God. God's hesed love is unfailing. It is his loyal love for his unloyal people. Well, I wanna come back and finish my story. When I realized that Audrey and I were in a place of having to utterly depend on God to escape infertility, 
You know, it took me some time to come to grips with that truth. In fact, for nearly a year, I honestly struggled with it. I wasn't being the leader for God that I needed to be with my wife or for my wife. It took a few months, and I'm sorry that I have to admit I didn't have that immediate obedience and trust that I see in 1 Samuel 30 in the life of David. But after a few months, Audrey and I, we felt convicted to pray daily for the Lord to work miraculously and allow us to become pregnant. You know, I honestly look back at those days and I cannot think of a single day where we did not gather, get on our knees together, hold each other's hands, pray out loud carefully through our struggle. Can't tell you what that did for our marriage relationship. You know, I can't imagine not praying with my wife, by the way. If you're struggling with God's silence, you need to start praying with your spouse if you're married. You need to have a prayer partner if you're not married. You know, we eventually, Audrey and I, we came to a point of having total peace with God no matter what He decided. And I can't explain it, it was a peace that passes all understanding. And another thing that happened, we stopped blaming ourselves. We stopped pointing the finger at whose fault it was we weren't getting pregnant. In October of that year, something incredible happened. We found out that we were pregnant. It was a miracle. I'll never forget that morning. Audrey burst through the doors of our master bedroom and she said, it said yes, referring to her pregnancy test. Her body was physically shaking and all that emotion, five years of frustration. I'll never forget that day. You talk about a stone of remembrance in my life. That is a day that I'll never forget. And now speaking of that, we now have two living stones of remembrance. One's named Lily Faith and the other Justin Jay. You know, we had to learn to persevere. God took us from perseverance to promotion and his silence. Right now, if you're struggling with that raw silence or attesting from God, you need to know you're not alone. You're not a second tier Christian. You know, we travel all over the country with Christian Thinker Society and we've received questions from believers in all kinds of different churches. And this is always the most frequently asked question. God is silent to me, I can't hear him. What do I do in God's silence? I wanna encourage you, start where Jesus did with the Psalms. Press forward with trust in Almighty God no matter what. And don't ever forget, remind yourself of this. Some of the tallest figures of the Bible persevered right through God's silence. And you can persevere too.